dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs. Welcome to the first episode of 2024. I'm Claire and I'm here with my co-host Marsha and this episode we're going to be talking about the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as it hits its 20th anniversary uh, from 2004. It is crazy, yes. Uh, it's crazy for me because it makes me very, very old. Uh, yeah, right, that's worth that. sneezing just... at. No, that's all right. I can no, cut your so, sneeze. So, I, I was your really sneeze. trying like to hold it. Don't <laughs> right, so worry. Oh my god! It's easy. I can okay. mute out a sneeze on your track. It's mm. fine. <laughs> um, we chose this, I think, because uh, we know that 2024 is has the potential for being a really grim year. Um, yeah. From the perspective of some of the things that we talk about, um, it's been lots of sort of discussion about the rise of authoritarianism. Uh, and mm -hmm. We've been discussing it in our um, uh, podcast episodes for a lot of mm -hmm. things, but it's of course happening in the world as well. And 2024 has the potential, it's the year of tons of elections. It has real potential for the rise of populism across the world, uh, but also specifically the potential for the return of Donald Trump uh, in the US election. So we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about a means for forgetting everything like Donald yes. Trump uh, <laughs> in this film. So, Marsha, would you like to tell us all about what this film is about? You get the hard job. Um, yeah, no, uh, really great film. Uh, uh, so it follows the story of Joel and Clementine, who um, are this couple who go through a breakup and then undergo uh, a procedure to basically erase each other's memories from, you know, the relationship and about each other. Um, and the sort of film specifically follows Joel's experience of getting his memories erased of his ex. And um, yeah, I guess it's sort of the like movie dapples in like non-linear storytelling mm -hmm. uh even with sort of it goes back in time from the end of the relationship i'd say to sort of the beginning although it does sort of very much jump around in the dreamlike sequence but you know there's lots of sort of explorations of like themes of love and memory and sort of experiences mm -hmm. uh but yeah no, i'd sort of say that's that's like the main sort of plot line of the film but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think there's a lot to say about the ending, but maybe we'll talk a bit more about that later. <laughs> yes, um, the ending and also the beginning, because they're kind of the, the same beginning. thing. Um, oh, yeah. of course, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I literally um, completely forget. It was, oh, it's just so so very clever. And also, we were just saying how it's quite, even though it's 20 years old, it seems like quite a timeless movie it anyway. It does, absolutely. And, um, you know, with the odd exception, we tend to talk about sort of slightly bleak films mm. this is you know people describe it as a sort of speculative romantic comedy or you know, science fiction meets romantic comedy it's not romantic comedy in your sort mm. of you know um sort of traditional kind of gushy sort of vein but it does have yeah. that little vibe to it um as well which is nice um and it's a film written by charlie kaufman so it's got that really kind of like weird mm. indie sort of um edge to it um amazing script uh mm. so there's there's you know there's a lot there you know a very kind of i suppose highly renowned film in many ways does a lot of really interesting yeah. things so one of the things that i suppose 
from our perspective, the way that we sort of view films is thinking about the way in which they are dystopian, the way in which they portray a dystopian society. This one actually isn't a dystopian film in the traditional mm -hmm. sense. Rather, it's a film based in absolutely ordinary society where yeah. one thing is changed, the invention of this technology. Yes. Um, but we thought we'd start with sort of thinking about what it would be like if we just sort of take the microcosm for a minute mm -hmm. to have a technology like this, to have a technology where like you could remove people's memories and um, yes, it's used for forgetting um, an unhappy breakup in the film. Um, I think uh, the doctor says that you know, Clementine wasn't happy and she wanted to move on. Um, but if it was something that was um, you know, more widely available, what would the ramifications mm -hmm. of that be? And why is like having memories kind of important? What do you think? I'm speaking of it being more widely available, it is I mean, it's sort of in the movie, it's implicated in this sort of like medical clinical sense, which is just mm. open to people. I guess it's a it's a private sort of practitioner, um, mm. you could say. So obviously it's not necessarily open like the same way that I guess. Well, it's set in America anyway. But yeah, exactly. Sort of so, you know. But, you know, I mean, just thinking about a lot of the implications of like what you could do with memory what you can like manipulate because obviously they've erased memories but then is there also in not just chopping out certain parts of your like stream of consciousness but have they also edited edited bits <laughs> together it's what can mm. what can you really do with this technology um but obviously in this alternate universe alternative universe where this exists like you can imagine all the sort of probably underground government mm. sort of <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know manipulation of such a technology and also how is it even sort of you know green flags ahead to sort of be distributed in the way that it is it's just so yeah I mean we get a whole sort of vibe of it being a bit of a, a dodgy company don't we I mean yeah, we'll talk about this true. when we get into sort of the the second section where we'll talk about the sort of medical mm. ethics of it all but yeah you're right I mean if such a thing did exist you can think of plenty of kind of nefarious uses for it i think 100%. Um, i mean i think it's really well illustrated um through talking about like how the technology could be abused you know i think it's well illustrated with elijah wood's character who we're just saying <laughs> does a really great job of being this sort yeah. of really creepy i wouldn't even say would you say a villain i don't know but it just no, sort of very, just, like... a, just a bit of a creep really yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. you know, quite a normal guy but just like <laughs> oh, makes your skin crawl still, yeah, yeah oh god awful and uh, also characters like mary but i guess again we'll sort of save that to the portion with the ethic mm. ethical concerns but what do you think the actual implications of like erasing someone's memory and like maybe how that in sort of intertwines with their identity and their experiences yeah. i mean we're made up right of the impact of like the accumulation of our past and we access yes. that through our memories so on the one hand I'm sure we've all got memories that we would want to forget and I think I guess traumatic relationship breakups um mm. particularly I mean ones that are far worse than the sort of relationship breakup that we see in the film which is not yes. it, it doesn't involve sort of 
violence or um, uh, cheating or anything like that, as far as we're, we're aware. But in situations where people have encountered something traumatic, then yes, I can see why there might be an absolute desire to yeah. remove that. But as you say, you know, we're made up of good and bad things. We learn from past mistakes. Um, and I'm not sure that I necessarily would say that it's healthier to to sort of suggest erasing trauma mm. rather than working through trauma. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how much of this is sort of, you know, I've I've read my, you know, fair share of self-help books talking about trauma, but I think there is still sort of this idea that um, trauma can have like an, a, an effect on the body itself mm-hmm. and especially yeah. the way that you can, obviously having gone through something and then encountering maybe like a, a similar feeling or... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a similar situation can trigger you know the body's sort mm-hmm. of fight or flight response and I don't know for example if necessarily erasing the root of that trauma would erase Raise that, that yeah. like response mm-hmm. and to a, like a perceived threat um mm-hmm. which yeah I don't know I, I, but again I guess it's not something that you can really uh, you know since we don't have this technology no we don't but if we think but, about the film mm. the very fact that essentially Clem and Joel don't remember each other, meet again, and their whole relationship starts yes. again, as say, from scratch, sort of suggests that any any legacy of the uh, of the memory erasure doesn't mm. include the prevention of the same events happening oh, again. That's true. So, yeah. I mean, for this specific yeah event, that's mm. yeah exactly. And and I guess there's this sort of idea of like using history and using what's happened in the past to learn. And move mm. forward is that's that's exactly the thing that's not happened here is yeah. that they they sort of meet again and fall down the same system. I mean, I, there's mm. a yeah, so yeah, at the, like at the beginning and then at the end of the film, it's explained that after the memory erasure, the two meet again and then sort of start you know spending time with one another and they find out about this memory erasure, you know, and have these sort of reactions that are you know quite confused mm. and surprised I think there's definitely sort of a psychological effect um yeah I just I, I mean I, I, you know especially I, I don't know if you know anyone here sort of gotten drunk and stood up <laughs> blacking out and the next day not remembering anything about what happened and it's sort of I think that is that exact sort of confusion um yeah I mean that's that's pretty sort of terrifying and we see mm. you know there's that obviously Joel is wrestling you know with with things that have happened that he he doesn't remember and there's a gap so I'm not sure that replacing something that you want to forget with kind of a hole in your memories is necessarily a very attractive idea and I also think you know if we take that bigger picture I mean I don't know I'm I'm thinking of kind of my worst ever relationship breakup and Mm. it you know serious trauma following it and you know it was cheating that was gaslighting Mm. it was Mm. really really nasty and it's taken me a lot of therapy to really realize that but mm. would I necessarily change it get rid of it like strip it from my memory yeah well there was loads of things that I learned from that relationship I learned more about myself you know I got into certain like artists and books and like experienced yeah. certain things I don't think I'd want to lose those mm. um but obviously you know there's there's much worse trauma out there that perhaps people would feel that they just can't cope with yes, the, yeah. the the memories and and I wouldn't want to sort of you know speak for others there but it feels yeah. to me like a 
an oversimplification of yes. um, the situation. Yeah, I mean, like how I think, well, I think I was sort of looking into different aspects of, you know, going through trauma and these sort of, um, you know, mental illnesses and stuff that can, mm. you know, you can sort of collate from that is, um, I think there's people who go through these traumatic experiences don't necessarily have an understanding that there are other people that go through, not mm-hmm. particularly on purpose as sort of, mm. you know, a very sort of self-focused um, thing, but it genuinely maybe, you know, there's not necessarily on the comprehension that you know this experience has has been gone through by someone else Mm -hmm. and it can be a very sort of isolating venture in that sense and maybe that's yeah if the majority of people were having this wiped from their memories that would be Mm. even more the case you know you wouldn't have the tools and resources around exactly there's a part of me that also thought though that this idea of kind of losing memories is Mm. somewhat of the zeitgeist i was listening to a podcast but i can't remember which one um something that was talking about the sort of way in which we are consciously or unconsciously forgetting events from recent history or not learning to remember them correctly insofar as when Mm. you add together a sort of loss of living memory um, Mm. with the rise of disinformation and the sort of availability of fake news and of failure to sort of distinguish, Mm. we start to lose the reality of what actually happened. Um, And we we talked about this, I think, when... um, we were doing years and years and yes. at the beginning you have the uh, nuclear um, attack um, on Hong Dang and then you get mm. the idea that, you know, it didn't really happen or whatever. And yeah. the fact that statistically there's more and more, not necessarily Holocaust denial, but because yeah. of the fact that it's becoming more and more distant in memory, um, people feel like, less and less close space connected with facts and so um i think the statistics on the holocaust are now widely um sort of disbelieved um among young people um particularly in america but not exclusively they've done the research on this and it's a reminder you know memory is vital um it feels to me like okay we were we were going to be cheery but <laughs> i've been thinking a lot about the rise of authoritarianism <laughs> this week really really good um deep dive by the news agents on this um that you get the rise of authoritarianism um and the uh sort of populist and far-right parties uh well worth listening to from the last um week so this would be uh the week before christmas um because we're recording this early um so i'd recommend that but actually thinking well how likely is it that we could get back on a path that leads to if not a repetition of the holocaust certainly a repetition of the kind of behaviors that happen when you other um people and particularly you know the attitude to immigrants and the rise in language that reflects kind of early 20th century fascism and hitler in particular so if we don't remember then these things can happen again because they don't have a reality and you can completely imagine that if you've got memories that impact on some crazy authoritarian leader's decision on what they're going to do the idea of sort of systematically stripping that from the consciousness of a people if you had the technology to do that Hmm. that could be um devastating i mean it was we were talking 
briefly about Doctor Who before this started because I'm now in my sort of <laughs> new season of Doctor Who pre-Christmas rewatch. Um, and one of the things that they play around with is this idea of basically rewritten history, the idea that yes. everybody would forget that um, the Sontarans hadn't always ruled over Earth or whatever. And yeah, you know, it's a very light-hearted example, unless you've been killed by a Sontaran. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it, it matters. It matters that the true events whether on a personal or like a uh, a population level a world level matters yeah yeah i mean what, what do you think about almost the subjectivity of history and how like mm. you know it's, things all sort of written from you know that i mm. you know the basic sort of theory that everything's sort of written from the mm. winner's perspective yeah. or yeah. um i mean even for example applying it to like a relationship sense you mm-hmm. know there's two people who are involved in a relationship and when that split sort of happens do you think there's a sort of disparity between how Clementine and Joel mm. um sort of view the end of this relationship and you know whether one they one of them thinks the other's more at fault or you know what really happened because obviously you yeah know, you can't necessarily experience something from another person's perspective I don't know yeah I think any listener who has ever been to couples counselling will know that <laughs> that is basically, yeah, I think, you know, how it goes. You discover that uh, two of you have completely different, well, in my case, <laughs> couples counselling didn't work out. <laughs> so, you know, really different, like, perspectives on what's wrong with the relationship. And you're right. Okay, so there's obviously subjectivity because of how one feels within that there are also you know potentially objective facts and i suppose that the idea about for joel and clementine they don't communicate well and therefore their differences in how they see the relationship um, are something that we see as the viewer but that they don't necessarily communicate to one another. Uh, Clementine always saying everything that she feels or whatever and Joel never saying anything and we hear it all <laughs> in like his head as it were um, yeah. yeah you know I think that that's that's true I suppose when you come to to history I've got really mixed views on this because I'm mm. very very wary that if we start talking about kind of subjectivity then mm. you're at risk of sort of saying any view goes but I also think that it's really important that we don't forget the fact that subjectivity is present because storytelling um this is one of my sort of pet projects I don't recommend anyone (laughs) uh read the book that I wrote about it but um uh I wrote about um the idea of storytelling for propaganda in uh late Latin poetry very niche uh but the idea that actually what survives for us looking at history is the source materials and the source materials want to tell a certain story now some of those source materials may be merely factual i suppose if you're looking at kind of primary evidence and so on but a lot of what we have is of course shaped by the story that people want to tell and as you say victors and privileged voices have louder voices than those who are are defeated um so you know to go back to sort of the example of the Holocaust, we need to look at objective fact. But I think we also do need to look at the stories that were told uh, by you know various sides. The idea mm-hmm. of a story that was told about the Jews by the Nazi party mm-hmm. and the, the sort of consequence of that, that's not a fact about the Jewish people. It's a story about the Jews that leads to the anti-Semitism that continues to be 
rife today and that of course yes. we've seen a significant rise in um during the current um conflict between israel and hamas so you know i think that there is importance to consider the way that subjectivity affects our view of history whilst also recognizing that you can't get away from factual evidence as well um but stories are a lot more powerful so we've got to tell the stories that are situated within the facts yeah. lecture over <laughs> but yeah. what, what what do you think about kind of the way that that people i suppose engage with the past whether personal or, or general do you think that that's something that's becoming more problematic um, i mean i think there's a sort of not i mean just the past but i think that maybe there's a bit of a loss of like general sort of media literacy and like understanding mm -hmm. why for example you know certain things were made and like what they they sort of like commentate about mm -hmm. in the past I mean I think that's something maybe one of my 2024 resolutions is to sort of question a lot more things especially what I consume and it's like relation yeah I like I definitely think it's very topical to sort of think about um what I mean, especially what is going on with the current conflicts, there's sort of mm -hmm. a lot of people are paralleling past genocides and mm -hmm. how you know there's you know there's a lot of similar parallels here. Um, but yeah, I'd, yeah, I think I think it's sort of an important thing to discuss mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, no, I was just going to say that thinking about kind of the film and what we were saying about this idea of mm. communication and listening to different sides and um, understanding that. I think that much as we said, you know, this sort of objective fact and there's, you know, values that we might prioritise as, as an individual or as a society. Mm. But there is also something about understanding different people's perspectives that we know things like the way that, for example, uh, social media and internet algorithm and things like that mm. creates a um, existence within a bubble. See, I, interestingly enough, I've like, I've, I was recently sort of reading about this, watching mm. some YouTube videos, and um, that like the idea of this bubble isn't necessarily as true as people say. Obviously, I think oh, there's good. this sort of phenomenon of, you know, like certain things are more push towards you than others but in fact mm -hmm. the world has never been more sort of connected in terms of alternative views than yeah. it ever has been before um sort of in comparison to a time where we weren't you know because I it, I mean it, yeah of course it's true there's certain things that are pushed to me but when I sort of you know I go through BBC articles mm -hmm. and go into comments on certain mm -hmm. topics like I actually you know you see quite a lot of alternative views yeah you know, some informed yeah. some uninformed some not, yeah. I mean some you know I could sort of there's it I I, I actually you know and um which I thought was quite an interesting uh, sort of discussion that I came across I think it might be worth doing some more research into this but it's I think it is actually um yeah no, I, we could I put think, uh, we could put some references into the show yes. notes, which we are going to do so much better in 2024, rather than <laughs> me hammering them out in 30 seconds. And um, but yeah, I, th I think that's a really interesting point. If we think about this idea that mostly in the past, people's sort of exposure to other viewpoints was confined yeah. to the socials in which they so, so circles yeah. in which they moved, sort of socially, exactly. family, work, exactly, and. Exactly. 
perhaps the reading of one newspaper, the listening to one radio station or mm. TV channel. Um, and now we do have access to a far greater range of, of mm. these things. And globalization, um, you know, has allowed us perhaps to see different perspectives in a way that we uh, we didn't before. So I think that that's a, a really interesting um, mm. sort of uh, point of view. Um, and I also think that you say something else, which is that, you know, to say that we it's important to consume a wide range of kind of viewpoints isn't to say that all viewpoints are valid. Um, yes. My sister said to me, oh, you know, how do you know that you're not sort of, you know, just just consuming your media in an echo chamber? Um, and I think by that she means that, you know, yes, I listen and read a wide range of sources, but they're likely to be centre and centre left sources. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to necessarily start reading the Daily Mail because I don't <laughs> think that it's a credible yeah. source. No. So, you know, hopefully not many of our listeners are daily mail readers we don't mean to offend you if you are but you're probably listening to the wrong podcast <laughs> um, so yeah so I mean there's something really interesting here I think exploring this idea kind of about um about memory and um we th thought a little bit about the kind of the big quotations that are used in the film um one of them is quoted by Mary Kirsten Dunst um, uh, as the secretary from uh, Lacuna Inc, where mm -hmm. uh, this process is carried out. And she's also in a relationship with one of the technicians. Um, and she quotes uh, Nietzsche saying, blessed are the forgetful for they get the better even of their blunders. Um, almost the idea, I think, there that, you know, you don't know about your mistakes, you don't learn from your mistakes, um, you consider to continue to think yourself without fault, um, possibly, I don't, I haven't actually looked into the background of this Nietzsche quotation, that would probably have been sensible. Um, felt a I bit mean, I was gonna... Saturday <laughs> for reading Nietzsche. Have you learned about Nietzsche today? Oh, God, you know what, like, other than what I've heard about, you know, God is dead, and yeah, not so right. powers, which, um, you know, another 2024 sort of uh, resolution. Read more Nietzsche. <laughs> read more Nietzsche. Um, although, actually, I think he talks a bit about, does he talk about the idea of the eternal reoccurrence and sort of infinite cycles? I mean, speaking, so I was going to say one of the theories about what happens in the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is that um, Joel and Clementine basically get stuck in this constant loop of basically getting together experiencing relationship erasing each other and then starting again and that sort of mm -hmm. continues for the rest of their lifetime which i think some people sort of debate is like whether that really happens since you know but having... it has the potential doesn't it, it has the potential yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which is interesting to think about this sort of uh cycle mm -hmm. i mean and especially i think uh, one of the biggest things in relationship is uh, you know in relationships moving past certain issues is breaking cycles of behavior and trying to you know cooperatively sort of help each other to get better yeah no i, I uh well, what do you think of that theory um <laughs> well whether... i think that um I, I can see why that idea that basically you get then to relive the good bits and just as it starts to go sour you kind of go back to to, to day one everyone goes through the honeymoon yeah, period so... over and over you know you can see um the appeal of that but in a way i think that you would hope that they would, once they knew about the process, having had it, 
that would put off having it done again. I would also imagine that the company is going to be in serious trouble following the whistleblowing episode. So, uh, you know, whether this oh, is yeah. feasible or not. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, of um, course, yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, that's, that, uh, and, and that is, is indeed quite hmm. true. I mean, um, do, should we talk a little bit about, you know, with the whistleblowing, the sort of magical ethics of this process yeah, and Mary's behaviour? Um, just before we do that can yeah. I say two more things oh, one was about the Nietzsche one was I was oh, thinking yes. about something that we didn't mention about this idea about kind of like wanting people to forget your mistakes and I think that one of the things that we as a society are becoming increasingly bad at is allowing people to um, make mistakes and be forgiven oh. for them Oh yes. um, I mean in public life particularly but I think on a personal level as well like we've sort of started thinking that change is bad and um, I was um, listening to uh, an interview the other day with uh, John Burko the previous um, speaker of the House of Commons mm-hmm. um, uh, a man who you know much you know widely widely disliked by many people but what I really enjoyed about this interview with him was him basically having been gone into politics really on a sort of worryingly kind of right wing uh, mm-hmm. edge um quite sort of you know part of part of kind of racist wings of the uh, conservative party having gone in this huge arc to where he now identifies as being on um on the left he's no longer conservative um and he is standing up and basically saying you know i am ashamed of how wrong i was i have learned i have changed and i just thought how rare it is yeah. like in a time when we don't forgive politicians for changing their minds and i'm not sure that we actually forgive even people we know even though we might want them to change to like our point of view and then if they do it's like they've sort of failed somehow there's a huge thing about people admitting that they're wrong and this sort mm. of um and almost like that's you know people hate sort of admitting you know sort of maybe like weaknesses in their judgment or whatever and especially the way that we do treat people when we have disagreements and when we have mm. arguments is it just makes it even more difficult for for like people to sit there and realize oh okay I can actually sit here and say oh, I'm wrong and mm. that um my mind has been changed but mm. without sort of their previous sort of thoughts and ethics being held over their head you know mm. it, it's kind of it's it's hard I don't think people can like are willing to necessarily give someone a clean slate in the same sense which you know makes makes sort of people's self-improvement and things very very difficult um and I think you know again if we're thinking about sort of Joel and Clementine they you know, end the film with this kind of awareness of what they each thought of one another by the time that they ended the relationship and and had their memories wiped. And you sort of hope that that's, I guess, a healthier start for them both, both in terms of their self-awareness and their awareness of the relationship with yeah. the other. That's, I suppose, the sort of optimistic reading rather than that they have oh, their, yeah. their minds wiped every few <laughs> years. Um so uh, yeah, I mean, so you mentioned though the kind of this thing about um, uh, medical ethics and the way that it plays out in, in the film. I think this is a good direction to go in next. So we've touched on a couple of things um, uh, to do with Patrick, to do with Mary. Um, but overall, what did you think of the process and the way that it's 
portrayed and uh, Lacuna Inc. Uh, as a company? Um, I mean, it seems quite, yeah, I think it's portrayed to be very sketchy in general. I mean, I think, I don't think necessarily the people behind the company seem unlikable. I think we get to explore sort of, mm-hmm. except from Elijah Wood's character, he's, well, as we said, a little bit creepy. Yeah. Um, Patrick. Patrick um, I think Stan and Mary and um, even uh, the sort of doctor. Is he a doctor? Do we know? He is doctor. He is doctor. He is doctor. Um, he, his, I've forgotten his surname, but Howard is his first name. Yeah, no. Um, you know, sure, might have taken the Hippocratic Oath, but, you know, sort of clearly. <laughs> so what happens within the film, I don't know if for the listeners, is uh, Mary is one of uh, a sort of girl who works at the practitioner, the practitioner, like this, like memory erasure happens and, and she's dating Stan, who's one of the sort of assisting doctors in the process. Um, and um, during the erasure of Joel's memory of Clementine, she comes along to help out Stan and Patrick, who's also sort of uh, works at this, you know, Stan and Patrick work at this practitioner as well. Um, and eventually there are some issues um, within the erasure of Joel's memory and the doctor comes over and uh, Mary's sort of almost obsessed and infatuated with this doctor. And it's mm-hmm. revealed to us that uh, her and the doctor had had affairs in the past um, where her memory mm-hmm. has been erased um uh, i don't know if it yeah i don't know if we said multiple times but yeah i don't think it's clear we get it she listens back to one version but this is you know it's revealed in a really traumatic way in that particular instance howard's wife turns up because she's suspicious that he's gone off in the middle of the night he has in fact gone off to work to help sort out the fact that uh joel is disappearing into his own mind uh trying to stop the process something else we can talk about but she turns up she sees the two of them kissing through the window and she says uh to um mary oh you can have him you already did and then it becomes apparent that actually it's so clever it is Um, yeah and it's a real sort of insight into well i suppose the issues of the issues of consent and the issues of the imbalance of power that's created as well because Howard knows what happened, his wife knows what happened, Mary doesn't know what happened, and we get the impression, listening back to her taped interview before the procedure, that she didn't really want it to be done, and he's sort of saying, and bearing in mind, he's her boss, he's an older man, he's um, you know, clearly has the greater power in the, yeah. in the affair. Um, he sort of say, "No, we agreed that it's for the best." Yes, I mean, yeah. There's sort of the there's you know the idea of consent and whether she was sort of coerced into this decision making. Mm. I mean, really, it's also it's just very generally quite unprofessional. I don't know, sort of having an affair with mm. one of your sort of oh, yes. um, yeah. you know superiors. I mean, I guess I don't know. Um, mm. And yeah, just sort of. Yes, I mean, I think that, that in this situation, clearly, you know, Howard is the responsible yeah, party, yeah. and uh, there's already something very dodgy going on there. Although, speaking of professionalism, you said that Mary went over to the flat during oh. the procedure, <laughs> yeah. Joel's flat, oh, to help course. out. But w- was she really there to help yeah, out? I mean, I mean they stole his alcohol, basically, I think, what they yeah. smoke some weeds, lots of yeah, professional absolutely. Con- they, conduct going on around yeah. there. And uh, while while uh, 
Joel is unconscious on his um, <laughs> bed, bearing in mind he can he yeah. can hear filtering into his memories what's going on mm. in the room. Um, they're basically dancing in their underwear Ooh. and um, I'm getting stoned. So <laughs> they're not even looking at the screen at no. the point at which they think the procedure has gone yes, wrong. Yes, exactly. Which... Um, Patrick disappears. Uh, he's not even present. So there are two people there to watch over it. So, you know, it's highly unprofessional in the sort of, I guess, it created a really uncomfortable sense of vulnerability yes. for the patient, yeah. which, of course, we had seen had been manipulated for Clementine. Yes, yeah. Um, so sort of the the concept of like abuse of this technology is illustrated well in Patrick's mm. story, Ryan, where he basically falls in love with Clementine and... Falls in well, love, I shall put it in inverted covers, because she was unconscious yes, at the uh, time. Well, gains an infatuation uh, <laughs> with a poor unconscious woman that is, again, just incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, but sort of this is, comes into where the sort of security and privacy concerns um, mm. are relevant, because uh, not only does he violate sort of these boundaries between like a patient and mm-hmm. like a practitioner, but also um, starts using Joel's memories for his own personal yeah. gain, you know, and malicious intent. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just so, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's creepy. But when he's like quoting lines, oh, gosh, Joel's lines back at her, and it's only just really yeah. satisfying because it doesn't work. Um, exactly. I mean, do you think, because like I think as well as you know this experience as Patrick quotes back these lines, I think like club title has some sort of relevant memory about these experiences because it it feels like she's having these sort of adverse reactions to it, like it feels incorrect yes. to her. So yes, it makes sense if we imagine that you know expressions of 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 emotion, things that people say, they're associated with the individual person. It doesn't work just to put them into the mouths of mouth of another person yeah. and to expect them to have the same effect. Although you know there is that oh heart wrenching moment when Patrick gives her the valentine's gift that joel had bought for her and she's like oh you know no one i've been with has ever bought me a piece of jewelry that i actually liked like oh because it's like they don't i'm not i mean do you think joel and clementine are a bad couple well that's an interesting one isn't it i think that i think that one of the things that we see as we go back through the memories is that overwhelmingly they're good Mm. you know and i know we could say okay it goes back into sort of earlier stages of their relationship and so on but even in the later stages they have arguments but the problem is that they don't resolve their arguments they don't communicate well not that there aren't good things going on as well and actually it's even in moments that we might not think are particularly sort of brilliant that joel still wants to keep the memories so i don't know i think that there there's a there's obviously a problem in what clementine says on her interview where she basically says you know that she doesn't feel like she's able to be herself anymore um but overall, I think that what she's kind of getting at is not necessarily to do with her relationship with, with Joel. I mean, there are obviously some problems yes. with that relationship, but not necessarily insurmountable ones. And with Joel, he's just like, oh, you know, she's she's not educated enough. She says library instead of library. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, and she's like, oh, he's boring. You know, these are the sorts of things that just happen when you don't continue to kind of I suppose grow together but there are also the things that happen if you've been in a relationship for a while and you don't continue to work at it and so on so I don't know would they be better together or not together um 
I suppose we're supposed to think potentially that, you know, there's something really special bonding them, otherwise they wouldn't start over. But it just feels pretty, all pretty normal to me mm. for a relationship that might last, might yeah. not. And, uh, what do you think of the sort of, at, at the beginning of the movie, you know, the, the both both sort of uh, individuals end up in Montauk, which I think is where they met mm. originally. And there was like, yeah. do you think there was maybe, what what do you think pulled them? Do you, like, do you think they were sort of almost com- commenting on like a fated aspect to their relationship? Not that that's sort of the main ideas going on here that they're meant to be, but that's sort of, they do, yeah, they both sort of, and they're almost called to this location. I suppose one of the things that it raises is this idea that, you know, you for all the sort of concepts of kind of mapping a person through your memory everything is interconnected yes. within your thoughts and memories so i mean firstly like when he, when joel is going through the erasure process clementine in his memory says meet me in montauk mm. and then that sort of lingers but there's also this idea of you know like this is a place that she goes to regularly we're mm. told that the the you know she says to the waitress it's her home from home whatever it's a place that has the potential to, I suppose, linger as of significance to him. He just doesn't know why it is significant anymore. So when he has that whim to get on a train and not go to work, that's where he goes to. Not necessarily because of her, but because it acknowledges the idea that, you know, there's a gap. There's a sort of, you know, it, something that has meaning without any, it's like the, the signified without the signifiers. There's nothing around it to provide it with the context. Yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, may, maybe they are supposed, you know, they are trying to say something about kind of the bond between them and so on. I mean, but, what do you think of, I, I think there's quite a lot in the film about dreams. And so the way that mm-hmm. Joel's memory is erased is he sort of falls asleep mm-hmm. and, Again, very creepily. Does he look very creepily? Patrick and uh, Stan break into his flat and like press yeah. him up. Is this, as he can say, does he know this is how it happens? I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another very good question. I mean, this it's quite odd that you know you'd have a medical procedure in your own bed, but I suppose if you didn't, you'd wake up in like a clinic or yeah. something, and you would, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know why you were there. there. Yeah, I guess sort so, of defeats the whole. I sort of get that, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it feels very sort of you know, underhand, yeah. but it fits, I think, with this idea that the whole thing feels a little bit like everybody's under-informed. Yeah, I was going to say, in terms of being informed on this procedure, I think there's mm. a sort of, as so, you know, your memories are like erased through an almost dreamlike sequence, and it's very mm. sort of mind-bending and a bit surrealist mm. and stuff, but, you know, do you think there's even a potential with the sort of causes of like loss of identity and maybe like Mm. do you think there's a danger that people who undergo this process could have sort of a loss of like disconnection from reality Mm. even like a sort of development of psychosis well if you don't know why like with with joel he doesn't know why his car is damaged yeah we know from the memory that it's because clementine drove it drunk um Overall, you know, we don't, you know, there are things that disconnect for him. Um, yeah. And I guess like the significance of Montauk, not knowing why it was significant yeah. or like, you know, yeah, exactly. those sorts of things. I think that would have its own complications. Yeah. But, you know, the very fact that this clinic will, um, Clementine says, you know, 
you know me, I'm impulsive. I just decided to go and get it done. And Joel is obviously in a really kind of emotional state when he um, he's found out. He's not supposed to have found out, but he's found out that Clementine has had this procedure because friends and family basically have to be complicit. They you know get their little card saying this person has had so and so erased from their memory, and uh, so you mustn't ever speak to them about it yes. again. Yeah. And uh, and he he finds out. Um, so I mean that's again has kind of real ethical consequences. Basically, kind of trying to force people to collude in this. Yes, yeah. That, um, but um, yeah, you know, it feels like the impact of of having this process is quite minimalized in the way that it's yeah. you know depicted. Not that it's sort of shown to be a kind of money making corporation or anything mm. like that, you know. But I don't feel that sort of due diligence is is not really done with regard to. Um, assessing the suitability for the patient and, and that sort of thing all we hear i think is that mary says on the phone to somebody no you can't have it more than three times in <laughs> one month like people would just become addicted to erasing yeah. like oh no i did something really embarrassing last week i need to like, erase it so yeah you know i think that it would it raises all sorts of kind of um questions about whether an ethics committee would pass something like this yeah. and you know again you feel like the very fact that patrick gets away with dealing all of the stuff yeah. the notes and the, that, the items crazy. and things so you know it's yeah. a good indicator of of you know why medical waste must be well handled <laughs> and things like that yeah. um but then also you know he stole a pair of clementine's knickers from the oh. uh flats when he was there as well yeah. so just generally this guy probably shouldn't be in any kind of uh job involving vulnerable people I think. yeah definitely now we mentioned already that, that mary having found out that she um has had this procedure done yes. then blows the whistle and this is another really interesting kind of ethical bit you know she dis she quits her job she mm -hmm. takes all of the patient files oh, and she writes to all of them sending them to the, <laughs> sending them their files and the tape recording of their their interviews now like for the purposes of the narrative this works brilliantly because you know, clementine has just met joel again doesn't know who he is and suddenly she's playing a tape yeah. <laughs> explaining why she wants him to be erased in her memory um but actually like as a as an action do you think that there's any justification for what mary does i mean i'm not sure how sort of like medical private data is meant to be handled mm. but i think not like that the post is actually <laughs> Oh, no, I'm not sure about that one, but um, no, I, GDPR big problem, yeah. you know, we're yeah, data protection act. Literally, um, is whether you know, it's I guess it's the sort of question whether um, Mary's whistleblowing is really going to bring. I don't know. We don't know whether there's other such clinics out there somewhere mm -hmm. operating. There must be. I guess it's not really like a secret sort of operation or secret technology. Yeah, it's like, not clear they sort of suggest that howard's like the pioneer but yeah yeah i, mean, I don't know unless of course it is so like unethical that he can't really yeah. propagate his patent yeah and um, i don't know whether necessarily her action is gonna sort of you know it'd be interesting to see whether it really brought about any sort of questions or actual sort of mm -hmm. change and whether this sort of stops this procedure from like continuing but would it really decrease the demand of because well, that's I think, the thing because if yeah. you've had it yeah i mean i i guess what like maybe i guess maybe lacuna as a company is meant mm. to sort of describe you know society's general kind of desire to ignore traumatic experiences mm -hmm. and not necessarily you know 
I guess it's just this sort of idea of like constant pleasure and not necessarily mm. seeing where things that aren't pleasurable or that can be traumatic and that can be painful um it's sort of like the refusal to do so and maybe that's sort of what the company represents but yeah however you would have thought that just receiving that yeah. without any kind of context prior yeah. warning or anything you know that would be hugely oh, traumatizing wouldn't it so yeah um, especially because I, I guess it's easy for joel and clementine you know you know sort of joel's been erased for all of like two days clementine mm. sort of i don't know maybe like two weeks whatever but what about people who had this experience you know years ago and then suddenly yeah. there's a sort of I don't know, because it, it wasn't only just people who erased their memories of a relationship. Uh, I think there was a, a woman who wanted to erase, you know, her old cat or something, which, you know, is I feel like is less <laughs> less of a big one. But what if it was, I don't know, something really quite traumatic? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and just receiving a, a letter to say that this, this has been erased, to you, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think Mary acts in a very kind of vindictive way, I think, really, yeah. she, rather than really thinking about the, you know, we think of it as yeah. largely being positive for, um, for Clementine and Joel, mm. but actually the very fact that they hear each other's tapes is obviously a bit of a fluke but that was you know that was a private consultation that they yeah. got exposed to another party yeah. you know? so yeah you know i tend to feel fairly confident about um privacy of data with in say the nhs whatever but i'm probably mm -hmm. um i worked for the nhs for a while a long long time ago um at the point at which they were trying to create the nhs spine which mm -hmm. of course failed but um at the time i was really pro because i saw the benefits outweighing the sort of um concerns but you know there is the potential even um you know now that everything's digital and everything for access to medical data being abused and and those sorts of things even if you don't just like carry all the files out of your office and put them in your car yes. uh so you know it's a it's something that's worth thinking about one of the things we haven't really talked about although we talked about whether we thought it was a good relationship is this overall idea about kind of what part a relationship the relationship has in their lives because i think one of the things that is a little bit dystopian um or resonates with some of the dystopian landscapes that we've looked at is this idea of kind of an emptiness to their respective lives to john and clementine's lives and the way in which they do or don't kind of fill, fill that emptiness yes um and one of the things i thought happened with the sort of you know once things start to go sour you just erase it is that it fits with kind of a potential increasing idealization mm. of relationships yeah um and we're saying, you know, this is 20 years ago, so you know, 2004, early days of, of social media and things like that. Mm. Do you think that people over-idealise relationships and that that's sort of something that oh, definitely. Clementine and Joel are doing? I think, yeah, I think Jim Carrey's character is definitely sort of, yeah, he reminds me of like people that I also know in my life who sort of seek relationship as relationships is also sort of a means to an end to increase mm -hmm. their own sort of happiness and yes yeah, so put put their happiness yeah, into the hands of um, somebody else yeah make is, someone else responsible i think also that affects other areas of your life such as the friendships that you may have and mm -hmm. i don't know i i and i also think it's sort of oh uh, yeah i mean i'm not really sure what it was like in the sort of pre um social media era of 
technology you know technology but especially the way that relationships are portrayed as like the be all and end all now mm -hmm. also puts people who can't necessarily uh, don't necessarily fall into relationships as easily as others sort of mm -hmm. put their a lot of their sort of self-worth on you know how desirable they feel and, and I think also yeah. promotes a, like a sense of unhappiness but yeah I I uh I think they were sort of you know yeah the both Clementine and Joel are sort of portrayed as unhappy. Well, I think especially Joel is portrayed as unhappy and unfulfilled. Whilst I, I actually think Clementine has a bit of a, I think we had a bit of a quote here. Uh, too many guys think I'm a concept or I complete them. You know, it's a, I'm going to make them alive, but I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. I remember, and then, you know, Joel goes to say, mm -hmm. I remember that speech really well. And then she mm -hmm. says, I had you pegged, didn't I? You had... And he said, he goes on, he had the whole human race pegged. Um, and then Joel continues to say, I still thought you were going to save my life, which is, yeah. I, what, I mean, what do you think about that? I, I don't know. How, how does... I think that that is something that happens a lot in, I think, certain types of relationships. I think maybe from my experience, there's a certain sort of perhaps, I'd say, more kind of unhappy men who feel that a woman will fulfill them but mm. i don't know whether it happens the other way as well um but this idea it's interesting because clementine says pretty much like a a similar but shorter version of the speech the second time round when uh she and um and joel are standing in the corridor at the very end of the film so this is obviously something that's really sort of important to to her to sort of say but it's interesting, isn't she? Because I think that she is lost in other ways. In the original script, but I don't think it makes it into the film, uh, when I was reading it earlier, uh, when she says that she's been a book slave at uh, Barnes & Noble for five years, she's like, oh my God, I've been there for five years. You know, Do you have a cell phone? I need to <laughs> ring them right now and quit. Um, so uh, she's got a certain loss there. She says that she pastes her personality on with like hair dye oh yes you know there's something there um joel accuses her of he says you know you'll uh you fuck other people to make them like you or you dangle the possibility of it in front of them but that seems to be just his jealousy they don't seem to have any evidence she certainly denies that this is something that that she does and in fact she says to him in the bookstore just after they first met when he's remembering that um at the same time as the speech that you know he's not married but he's in a cohabitation with a with naomi his mm. um uh partner of two years or something at that point and she's like you know you no know, you have to commit to me so she's actually got you know a fairly sort of monogamous idea it seems mm. about relationship um and not messing up his relationship. So I think that there's something with her where she's, she, one of their arguments in the memories is where she suddenly says she wants to have a baby. And he's mm. like, you know, are you sure you're ready for that kind of responsibility? And she feels patronized. Mm. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, he's the guy who, um, Oh, it's, do you remember when they're sitting in the Chinese restaurant in mm. the memory? And oh, yeah. um, he sort of says he talks about the way that they people they they're perceived. Here we go. Dinner at Kang's again. Are we like those poor couples you feel sorry for in restaurants? Are we the dining dead? <laughs> uh, I can't stand the idea of us being a couple. People think about uh, think that about. I like that. How's the chicken? Good. More? No, no, thank you. She's going to be drunk and stupid now. You know, he was hearing all of this stuff mm. in uh, his head that he doesn't say out loud, whereas she does say 
you know, you clean the goddamn hair off the soap when you're done in the shower. Uh, and it's like, it's really gross. It's gross. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's not engaging in the, the kind of um, what he what actually matters to him, mm. um, which is similar to the bit where uh, she accuses him of um, not sharing with her, not like communicating with her. And he's like, uh, you know, talking incessantly is not the same as communicating. So you know, this is obviously a problem in their relationship, mm. but it's also a surmountable problem, right? Mm. Potentially, if they want it to be. Yeah. But uh, you know, I suppose it's any relationship where one person is more outgoing than the other person. Um, perhaps, you know, if there's a difference in their kind of education, he says, oh, you can't really talk to her about books and things mm. like that. Maybe this means they're not very compatible. But yeah. on the other hand, when he's bawling his eyes out in his car, you definitely feel like he's lost something, uh, whether it's something good or not is unclear. But... I don't know. I felt that there was really something about um, whilst in relationships you might want to make the other, we should want to make the other person happy and not mm. make them unhappy. As an individual, you shouldn't put your happiness, make it the respons- sole responsibility of somebody else. Mm. Um, and I think that that's that's quite a common yeah. issue, perhaps particularly in the kind of empty lives. Mm. I suppose Joel says, doesn't he? He says something about like how is uh, um, my life isn't that interesting. I go home. I go to work, I go home, I don't know what to say, you should read my journal, it's just like blank. But of course it wasn't blank mm. until the pages got ripped out yes. that featured her. So, you know, maybe they do oh, yeah. do good things for each other. Um, did you pick up the um, reference to Tom Waits? So they mentioned the reference to Blue Rain. It's the colour of her hair dye. And it's also the um, is the name for a type of cheap gin. And uh, but in the original script, it mentioned the fact that it comes from a Tom Waits song um, called Ninth and Hennepin. Like, is it really sad that the reference is gone from the film? Really, I mean, it's obviously yeah. a little bit niche, but just because the text, like the lyrics of that, are so like appropriate um, uh, to the whole um, thing. I don't know. Are you a Tom Waits fan? I can't say I've listened to much Tom Waits. Oh, Tom Waits is amazing. Uh, but I, yeah, so um, I've added Ninth and Hennepin to the um, to our music playlist mm-hmm. that goes to this podcast when we reference songs and mm. put them there. Um, but uh, this is one of his ones where he's just like it's more like he's like speaking a poem over music. It's mm. not like um, not him singing in his um, amazing kind of cigarette voice uh but it's a it's a the lyrics are really like kind of encapsulate that idea of sort of mm. an empty life a sort of like a point of a sort of limbo in your existence and things like that um but at the end it says and the clock ticks out like a dripping faucet till you're full of rag water and bitters and blue ruin mm. and you spill out over the side to anyone who'll listen i've seen it all i've seen it all through the yellow windows of the evening train i was just like oh that's so really, good really good. so uh yeah so everybody listened to that everybody listened to tom waits he's great oh, and also um, speaking a bit about music just wanted to like mm. point out big fan of john brian's work on the soundtrack um just really good i mean he's he's like works with other musicians such as like fiona apple and rufus wainwright um but just it's one of those soundtracks that you continue to go back to there's there's um, some very good stuff isn't there yes, yes. i think he yes. i think um one of my favorite musicians uh puma blue uh samples 
one of the tracks phone call from the movie which we can also put oh, on the playlist there you go um, put it on the playlist but Super. yeah definitely recommend it yeah. just whilst we're on the topic of music, definitely oh, music. One of my yeah absolutely um definitely creates the real kind of like mm, sort of ambience of the whole yeah, thing yeah 100%. yeah exactly okay well there we go we've done a little bit of a tour through some of the big ideas some of the sort of good things about the mm. the film anything that uh you think is a takeaway from this film Ooh, it's, um it's not quite as sort of like messagey as, as some, some of our others but i guess it's a very sort of general commentary about you know, human relationships and mm. memory and sort of i guess you know i guess it's sort of overcoming i guess through joel's experience of this memory erasure and going through all the memories of his time with clementine he overcomes the pain that he once felt I guess it is that sort of processing mm -hmm. um that he goes through in in that experience mm. um yeah and he almost comes out of it wanting to try again um yeah so if it hadn't been erased feeling, that yeah. process would have been the best thing for him yeah but actually exactly. a process that took you through those memories rather yeah. than a process that erased those memories but yeah and he sort of came out of it be a really sort good of thing. experiencing a renewed sort of mm. yeah I mean, maybe this is claire maybe this is the, the sort of endeavor that we need to start researching yeah. <laughs> we can start over <laughs> absolutely um, yeah. 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 um but yeah i think it has i, do, I think for me, it definitely has a huge sort of emotional depth and also just visually mm. and cinematically, it's just one yeah. of my favourite films. And the other thing I would say about it is that it it's very funny, not oh, necessarily yeah. in that kind of like, you know, laugh out yeah. loud kind of joke funny. But sort of no. yeah, so if people sort of... are thinking kind of, I've not seen this, I've got Jim Carrey in it, do I really want to watch it's Jim Carrey yeah, it's, it's not that kind of playing it. He's playing it straight with perhaps mm. the one exception being when he's playing himself when he was four when he goes back <laughs> so into his good. memories so good. <laughs> but uh yeah you know I think there's a there's a lot of um sort of big ideas speculative ideas which are fun but also just just some really good performances and we were saying you know bearing in mind that Kate Winslet had hit massive fame in 97 mm. with Titanic Elijah Wood had just been Frodo Baggins for three years <laughs> at this point because mm. it's uh, the year after the end of the Lord of the Rings franchise um and you know Kirsten Dunst sort of um big kind of up-and-coming Hollywood sort of um leading lady at that sort of time as well um and then playing this kind of like in this quirky film playing roles that don't necessarily sort of conform to the kind of types that um, you might expect them to, to play. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a lot going for it, definitely. Mm. Okay, well, there we go. We've hit out into 2024 in style and we're going to be back with you for episode 10 in two weeks time. Episode 10, look at that. Um, <laughs> which will be on The Society. Mm -hmm. which we've promised for a while but we've yes. actually now will have watched <laughs> and as always please do follow us on social media on instagram check out our sister project beingsociety.com which looks at society and political philosophy and picks up on some of our ideas here um email us at dystopianfictioncurrentaffairs at gmail.com let us know what it is you would like us to do more of less of 
possibly mm. might not listen but you know <laughs> um uh suggestions for for content and um please do like and uh review us on your preferred podcast platform as well it's really good for us to reach out to other people that way one other thing i was going to say is that uh as it is a happy new year and you may wish to support the podcast i'm pleased to report that our um I don't even know how to say this, but coffee, coffee, Ko-Fi, <laughs> coffee um, donations link is uh, alive again after it was, uh, we were carefully informed that it was in fact broken. Uh, so I'm sure you were all trying to donate previously, but now you actually can. Um, we are trying to avoid advertising on this podcast. We would like to be able to keep it nice and free from the bombardment <laughs> of advertising that we get from everything uh, if you'd like to help us cover our costs then a couple of quid would really help yeah get us into 2024 <laughs> if you would like to thank get you so much giving spirit <laughs> that's right absolutely you've got no money left after christmas i'm so sorry please give it to us <laughs> yeah so excellent thank you very much marcia i am going to press stop <laughs>